I am honored to be sitting here with Mr. Bernard Purdy, fabulous drummer who has worked with everybody from Aretha Franklin to Steely Dan. Um, how long have you been drumming? I've been drumming 70 plus years. How did it all start? I started, I was three years old. I heard drums in the next block in my hometown of Elkton, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And I was just fascinated with the sound. Do you remember what it was you heard? Sure. I heard M Mr. Haywood, the music teacher that was in the next block from where I lived. And was it jazz? Was it, do you know what, what kind of drumming it was? Or was it just drumming? It was drums. Of course, I found out later why I enjoyed it so much. It was New Orleans. Ah. It was march music. But he also played drums in the 14-piece orchestra. of It's called Clyde Bessick's Orchestra. And they played dance music. Everything they did. They were the number one band for all of the state of Maryland and Delaware and uh, Pennsylvania. I didn't know all that. Right. <laughs> you were three. Uh, <laughs> I just liked what I heard. I was fascinated. I was totally, totally fascinated by it. So my older brother... Uh, we played, and I wasn't allowed to cross the street. Big street for me, you know, <laughs> right, right. three years old, yeah. you know. Um, so he was allowed to take me, walk me all, you know, through town. And uh, we had a graveyard behind us. We had the church was on the corner, and we had houses across the street from us. And uh, there was a beer garden where they had music on the weekends. Right. We're right down the street from that. But you go to the corner, you had a barber shop, and then you had the next street over, which was called Bell's Lane. And from the corner, you could hear drums. And I just wanted to know where it was coming from. How it, you know, what was this? You know, I was just fascinated. But so, just, I mean, it was a big band with drums, and you just heard the drums. No, I just heard the drums. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't, in the big band, I mean, no. I just heard the drums. I was into what I call country music. Country music was the thing right. in a small town in, uh, in Maryland, you know. But, I, but people dance. Right. People could dance. That's what it was always all about, dance. So I was three. My brother walked me, and we got in front of the house where it was coming from, 
And I sat down on the stoop. And my brother said, boy, what's the matter with you? I said, you hear the music? Do you hear the music? He said, oh, somebody playing the drums, you know, just like, I said, that's music, man. That's music. So we sat there, and uh, Mr. Haywood came out, I don't know, maybe an hour later, and he saw me sitting on the steps uh, on his stoop. Right. And he said, boy, what are you doing here? What, what's wrong with you? Uh, I, I like, I like what, what you're doing. You know, what is it? He said, I'm playing the drums. Yeah, I said, yeah, but that, you can dance. I, can, I said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's dance music. You know, I, I got to practice. I got to practice. I said, I like, I like what you're doing. I, I like the sound. But I did not really and truly know what I was saying and doing, except this is what moved me. Right. It's amazing that it touched you so much at the age of three. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, when I went back home, I told my mother. And I said, I want to... I want, I want to play drums, because I now know the word, right. playing drums. But at this point, you haven't even seen it, though, right? Did you go in to see it? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Mm-mm. I, I, I want to play drums. She's, boy, we have no money for drums. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then I told her, the teacher down the street, Mr. Haywood, he plays drums. He plays drums in a big band. And she said, well, did you see the big band? I said, no, no, he told me about what he was doing. And my brother Ernie, who's older, he said, yeah, yeah, he, Bugsy liked what he was hearing. And, and we sat there for a while, and uh, Mr. Haywood came out. And he was talking with him, and he started telling him about the music that he was making, and he said the music was from New Orleans. Still didn't mean anything to me, except I just liked what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And then I could feel the march. Vroom, 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 vroom. Zhumpum, 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 I learned all of those. What I just sang to you, that's the first thing that I actually started learning and listening to him play until I would sing it. I would could actually sing it. I couldn't actually play it on the drums, but I could play it on the pots and pans. Your, your mom must have liked that. Well, she wasn't very happy. She wasn't very happy about it. But um, I was there every day. I went there every 
day and my brother Ernie had to watch me because this was summertime yeah, yeah. and uh, he wasn't in school at the time you know so uh, I was there so when did you actually sit down behind a set of drums I don't know whether it was six months or whatever, but I didn't sit behind a set of drums. I was with the snare drum. Right, okay. And what did that feel? Like, was that unbelievable? Like, did you, is it, was it everything you thought it would be? Oh, it was even more, as far as I'm concerned, because as soon as I sat down, I played the march. I was actually playing what Mr. Haywood was playing. And you could do it. And I could do it. And I would sing it. I would just sing it and then play it. Play and sing at the same time of what it was. And he was fascinated. He said, uh, you, you have rhythm. And I said, yes, sir, yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but but these are the things he was saying to me. I didn't understand what he was talking about, right. but it sounded good to hear what he was saying. So every day I was there throughout all of the summer because couldn't go to school, I was too young, and uh, so it started that way. During the winter, I stayed at home with my mother's pots and pans. So I now was trying to play that same rhythm. As time went on, that rhythm I start to understand. But it was still New Orleans to me. Mm -hmm. But it was still march music everything he did it was like a march and as I listened to all the times I might be there from an hour to six hours my brother Ernie who used to take me disappeared Right. He had other things to do. Yeah, yeah. He'd leave me there. I'd sit on the stoop. And then on the weekends, Mr. Haywood was teaching. He had other students. So he allowed me to stay on the stoop. And while he taught his, you know, these young kids... And I didn't understand why it took them so long to learn something. <laughs> That's the only thing that bothered me. Because you could pick it up really easily. Hmm? You, could, you could pick it up really easily. Oh, I picked up everything immediately. I, I would sing it. Right. And then I'd sit down and play it. So after a while... The students that he had 
in a book, drum book, looking at the notes and then boom, bang, boom, gang, boom, bang, gang, boom, bang. Why does it sound like, you know, I didn't understand why it took them so long to get to that point. So, as long as I was there, Mr. Haywood used me. He says, Bugsy, play this for me. I'd jump up, sit down, play it, play it on the snare exactly how he played it, because I heard it and I could sing it, and I would just sing it hmm. and play it. He said, okay, now sit down. I go back and sit down, and the other kids, how did you do that? How did you? I said, I don't know. I, I watched him, but I heard him play that part. So I sang the part. I would always sing the part, even though I did not know that I was, could read music or anything, no. I just sang the part. So little things started to come because he finally started to say to me, I think by the time I was five or six, he said, you got a phot photographic memory. And I said, a what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? He says, you'll learn. You got a good memory. You pick up things easily. Oh, it's, okay. It's, but it's more than memory, though, isn't it? Because you got to be able to execute it with your hands. It was and... the choice of the words. He actually, the choice of the words that he used, he was very, very careful about what he said. Every time he said something to me, and every time I sat down to play for a student because he played something and then he wanted the student to play it and they couldn't. So I started to basically understand that I, I could do this because I remember everything he said and everything he did. Right. So my memory was great. You know, I just thought, wow, I, I can do this. I can do this. So I'd get excited and I'd be there two to six hours, especially on uh, on Saturday and a Sunday because mm -hmm. you had these kids that weren't in school and, and they wanted to learn and then he even had classes, but I wasn't allowed to speak because I couldn't pay for right. any of this. It's all belonged to somebody else, these other students. That was fine with me. He just allowed me to, you know. You're still learning. I'm still learning. So the biggest thing that happened to me, I was about seven or eight. I, yeah, I was close. Now, 
six of seven. I opened up my big mouth. I didn't understand why these kids do not know what he is doing. Mm -hmm. And I thought because I'm there all the time and I'm seeing the same ones, I spoke. He says, out, out, you don't exist. I was shaking. Scared, mm -hmm. and here he's telling me that I have to leave, that I won't be able to play the drums anymore. I was heartbroken, and I started crying. By this time, I could walk across the street, even though I wasn't supposed to. Right. And I walked home and my brother wasn't with me. And I was crying. And when I got home, my mother said, what's wrong with you? I said, Mr. Hayward said I couldn't come anymore. He said I wasn't allowed to speak. I was, I'm not paying for anything, so you cannot speak. You only can speak when asked to do something. Right. So he said, well, did you learn your lesson? I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm crying because now I can't go back. Yeah, yeah, this is devastating. It was devastating. Really, it was devastating. So for three days, I went to all the other students, and all of them were all older. They were... I would say anywhere from three or four years older than me to eight or nine years sometime. But it didn't matter. I still knew more than the oldest ones. Even though I didn't know what I was doing. And that sentence that he said, a photographic memory, I started using it, even though I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I'd start telling people, he said, I got a photographic memory that I can remember how to do this and do it and do it well. Okay, well, I thought that I was big time now I, that I know so much. But I was only scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. But I, of course, I didn't know that. I just knew a lot more than the students. And because I was a nice guy is why he allowed me to stay. But he also wanted to make sure and keep me focused. If I'm going to be there, since I'm not paying, you are not allowed to speak. Right. So I went to the other parents, all of them that I could remember and who I could get to. And I begged them to tell, ask him, please, can I come back? And I won't speak again. I'll never speak again unless he says something. And, you know, I, I was preaching. I was preaching to everybody, anyone who would listen. And he took me back. 
three days later. Can I ask, at this point, are you thinking you're going to be a drummer? Oh, I know I was going to be a drummer. No doubt in your mind? No doubt in my mind. Whatsoever. And you had no idea what that was, though? No. <laughs> I just know that I can play the drums. And I used to set them up, tear them down, set them up, fix, tuning. I did all of those things because these, these kids, these other kids didn't understand that. But I did. Why do you think you did? I mean, mm -hmm. do you think it was just photographic memory or do you think it was no, more than that? I watched. I watched and then I listened. I saw everything that he did. And I could go right back and do it. Tuning was natural to me. I didn't know that. <laughs> I could go right back and take the key and go right back to where that certain sound, but it was a pitch, but to me it was just a certain sound. And then I come up to that. and know exactly when I got to where I want, because that was the sound that stayed. And it was warm, it was pleasant, and it was always out of the way, the sound-wise. I never, ever pound and hit super hard, because I wanted to make sure that I stayed within the realm of that sound that I liked. Mm. Mm, I could do mm, on anybody's drum. It would take me minutes. I tuned the drum and I got the sound because I heard that pitch right. in my head of where I want things to be. Mm, 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 mm. It was, it was that simple. To you? Yes. <laughs> so when did you get behind a full kit? Well, by the time I was six, okay. I got behind a full kit. I didn't get there till then because there was uh, the seat right. that he had wouldn't go down far enough. So if I got a stool, I'd be down here. Right. I couldn't reach uh, the big part of the drums. The bass drum was a 22 or 24 inch bass drum. That's how big it was. But to play it with my foot, I had to be in a real low right. chair or stool. Because I wasn't able to, any chair, I wasn't actually able to reach it, so I had a little small stool that was about that time. So I didn't play the cymbals because I couldn't reach those, but I could reach the hi-hat. Now, I don't know where the... Uh, 
anybody else got the, the term and everything else. I didn't know what it meant, hi-hat. Right. The hi-hat to me was down here where my socks was. <laughs> right. So, of course, you you know, you learn these things later as you go along because the stand started coming up, creeping up. So you can actually play a hi-hat and with your foot. Because for me at the time, there was no such animal as a a foot to play. I could just play that little symbol that was down here because I could reach it. Did did you adjust to the other parts like the snare? The sorry, you're working with the snare initially, mm-hmm. but then you had to learn the the hi hat, the toms, the tom toms, and, mm-hmm. and the cymbals. Did did learning to play that, which is more than just playing on the snare, did that come easy to you as well? Oh yeah. Very easy. But, but it was all about the sound. I became fascinated with the sound because every job that Mr. Haywood did, the drums had to be tuned. Mm-hmm. All of the drums. Because every night that he played, he down tuned. The drums, because they were calf skin heads. Right. Now, I thought all drums were calf skin. I don't know that the technology that came along didn't come along for another 10 years or more, but I thought no matter what drums you played, you had to detune to save the skins. But when you go, before you go to play it, you retune and bring that sound up. And I, of course, I didn't know the word pitch, just the sound. To me, it was just the sound. So everything that he really taught me, he wasn't necessarily teaching the other kids because I had kind of went past them. Right. But at the same time, I still had, he wanted to, me to play for them because they had to learn because they were paying. And they took it very easily from me because I was just a kid. Right. So I got my point across to them because of what he said. And I understood immediately. So it worked out. At, to, to a two-way street, I was helping him with the students, but it was all helping me to know everything that I could possibly know about drums. At what point did you start playing with other people? Was it in school? Was it in a school band? Or? Mm-hmm. I was playing with his band, Okay. the 14-piece orchestra. And did that come naturally to you? Because playing the drums is one thing, but playing with other people is another. Very, very natural. I wasn't able to play loud first. I could play with the brushes. He let me play with the brushes with the band. And then as I grew, I could play and use the sticks. Because the music they were doing was still dance music. Country was 
dance music. Latin dance music. Did you read? Did you read notes? No, I wasn't reading until I actually got to the eight and nine because I had to. I could read the drum parts by the time I was eight and nine because I had to, they had music for drums. And the ones that didn't have music for drums, I had picked up piano part or a bass part and start looking at the rhythms. Now, even though I didn't know what the rhythms meant, I could sing the rhythms, not the melody, but I could sing the rhythms. Da 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 da, da 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 da, da 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 da. I could do all of that because I saw the symbols, the sign. I read the notes, drum notes, but not melodies. I didn't know there was a difference hmm. because I didn't have to read the notes from the piano, from the bass, the guitar, the horns. None of this affected me except hearing the rhythms of what was being used and how it was being played. So I got really, really good at it. And I could play with the big band. They played every Friday and Saturday night, someplace. Dance, dance hall, right. schools, dance, church, dance. Didn't matter where it was, it was all about dance. So that made the biggest impact on me the biggest. After a while, by the time I was 12, 13, he said to me that, um, you did a nice job. I can't get in the band. At first I thought it was because I was too young. I can't be in the orchestra because uh, you only know, you know, rhythms. He didn't say I didn't know music. He just said, you, you know, you don't, you know some of the rhythms, you know, but that's it. Well, that was another devastating part. Mm -hmm. So he says, we have another instrument because now I have too many drummers and then I told him, but I'm the best drummer you have. And such and such. And he says, I have too many drummers. Now, you want to be in the band, you have to learn another instrument. Was there, do you have any, any interest in any other instrument? You just wanted to be a drummer. I just wanted to be a drummer. But in order to be in the band... I took up the trumpet. 
because that's what he said that was available. Right. About a year and a half later, he said, you're right. You can't play the trumpet. <laughs> flute. He didn't put me on flute. What I didn't know and didn't understand is that he was forcing me to learn music. Mm-hmm. But it was all about how to do things and playing it with and being the drummer because that was his instrument. Right. But he was teaching music throughout the school system. Horns, guitar, bass, piano. <laughs> he teaching all the instruments. Didn't matter to me. All I wanted to do was the drums because he was a great drummer. But did you, did you learn the other instrument? Like, were you able to pick up the other instruments? Uh, to, of course. Yeah. That was the part that became even more natural. I picked it up so easily because I could see the rhythm of the horns, mm-hmm. the guitar, the bass. I see the runs <laughs> going through it. it was, oh. And I go over there and sing it. Da 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 I picked up the rhythms <coughs> like that. So I was forced to learn the ABCs of music. Mm-hmm. The pitch. When the words started coming around. All of a sudden, everything was different different and I said whoa wow this is something this is really something I I'm, you mean I can learn how to play piano I can learn how to play a horn I can learn how to play the bass but I had no money so to learn the music at home I had to have an instrument that I could take home Auto heart. So that's something that I could afford. Right. That cost almost fifty dollars. And I was, oh my God, where am I going to get fifty dollars? This was in the fifties, the early part of the fifties. I listen. I hustled up the money. I got my bottles. I got anything and everything and and got the money for this auto harp. And that's how I learned how to read music because I couldn't afford any instrument to take home. Right. And that's what I could do. And that served you well later on in life when you became... Oh, that served me immediately because I start to understand what he was doing. Didn't make sense to me at first, but I started to understand that he wanted me to read music. He didn't want me to mimic others like the other kids did. I could sing the part. I could sing those notes on the paper. And I was, wow. (laughs) But I really couldn't play them well. I just knew when you were right and wrong 
and then I had my left hand for the auto harp, and then the strumming come in and picking. Uh, so I learned music. So I'm going to have to move ahead a few years. Okay. But you become a professional musician. Tell me about your first professional gig and what that was like. I was about 12. That's when I got paid, and I think it was $8. It could have been, it could have been $10 or more, but I got paid. And you thought, this is what I'm going to do for sure. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I mean, there was no ifs, ands, or buts that I wasn't going to play music. I was going to play. I'm definitely going to play the drums. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to play the drums. Um, Did you know you were good? Hmm? Did you know you were a good drummer? Not at first. No. (laughs) I just knew that I could play. Right. And I knew that I could do things. By the time I was 12, I can't say I was arrogant. I was just, I'm good. You know, and I could play, outplay some of the names that were coming through Maryland. I said, I can play that. These big names that are coming in in these bands and stuff, I play that. I, I play it better than them. I know I can play it better than them. That was me. That was just... Was there ever a point where you doubted that? Did you ever hit a brick wall or or come under circumstances where you thought, well, maybe I'm not as good as that? Oh, it came. <laughs> it came when I was 12 years old. That soon? Yes. That was the first time. Uh, there was a young guy, because now I'm playing regular for Mr. Haywood on the weekends and stuff. Right. And the guys in the band, uh, they were telling me, he says, boy, you're going to get it. Somebody's going to show you up one of these days and shut you up about how good you are and how, you know, you know this and you know that. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was. That was the first time. I had a great solo by that time. Mm-hmm. Whenever I did my solo, I was spot on. I stick on boom boom gang doom 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 boom doom 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 ding tick tick doom doom ding ding da da doom kum 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 da doom doom. I I had all of my licks. Right. I had all of my licks down, and in a rhythm. I'm doing a solo, but it's part of a rhythm that I had had down and worked on it and knew knew exactly what it was going to sound like, knew exactly where it's going to end, and then my my hands, you know, at things get you know you get to the point where you start looking good at what you're doing. Oh, I had all that. Well, this kid said he'd been watching me for six months or so. I don't know. I'd never seen him, you know. Well, we were playing, and he said he was a drummer. I said, oh, 
Come on. Twelve or thirteen. I don't know what is it, but I'm ready to show him up. <laughs> Let him play the solo. <laughs> well, he, uh, you know, we did my song, the song that one of them was, was even Caravan at the time. Uh, he played the song, and I told him, give him a solo, give him a solo. So <laughs> they gave him a solo, and they said, you got it. He said, what? He stopped, stood up. He says, this is the way you play your solo. He played my solo lick for lick, note for note, and when he finished with that, he said, what? He said, now, this is the way you should have played it. I what? Oh, he played it twice as good as me. The band members and all, they stood up and <laughs> clapped and all. Boy, they were so happy. They were so happy about this. I left. I didn't finish at the gig. Hmm. It wasn't my gig in the first place. I didn't finish at the gig. I had to leave. I was too embarrassed. I was just too embarrassed. What did that teach you? Uh, it, for a good 10 years, it taught me uh, a little bit of humility. But, but did it drive you to become better? Oh, yes. I went back to the woodshed. Right. Definitely went back to the woodshed and got my act together and start working on new stuff and different. And I still had my little solo things that I would do, because I never left them. I never lost that. Play. And then when I started doing recordings, boy, you talking about a head. My head got so big, by the time I was 20, 22, I was in New York at this time, got a cabaret card, Big time. And my head became so big, I had to go through the door sideways <laughs> with my hat. And it happened to me again. So why, I'm going to ask you about that, but why would you not have learned that lesson from before? You because just thought that you overcame it and now you're better? I, yeah, I overcame it and I was definitely better. But now I'm recording. I'm playing every night someplace but I'm also recording right. during the day. This was momentous to me. And I actually was making money. I actually made as much as $100. I made $100. I made more money in tips than I did for the gig. The gig in the 60s was only paying uh, $25, $30 for a night. Fantastic. I mean, I'm up now from 10 to $15 to the 20, 20 $25 a night. Right. Which oh. is a lot of money anyway, oh. right back then. Of course. This was the early part of the 60s. But as things moved on, 
I had certain things that happened to me. The recordings, records came out, and I, I became big shot. Mm -hmm. By this time, I had already lost my, my <laughs> name of Bernard, and it was because people couldn't pronounce my last name, they were calling me Bernard Pretty. So after six months of being in New York, Bernard got dropped, and it was per Pretty Purdy. Pretty Purdy. Good. Okay. I'll accept that. And I was making records. Demos. But I was making records. Mm -hmm. And those records turned into be masters. Hit records. My head got so big again. I mean, it really, oh, it, this one was really because I'm now able to talk about my music because I already learned how to read music, write music, arrange, I was doing everything because I knew music. Well, it happened again. <laughs> Only this time it was even more devastating because it was a young lady mm. that I, my friend, I called her my friend and all, and she put, it's like, you got to stop acting like you know it all. And you this and you that. Oh, my God. I was like, I was devastated because I thought she believed in me that I could do anything. Because by this time, I'm working with Les Paul. You name the people that were producing records and, and everything else, between that time, between 61, by the time 61 came in, I was in New York. I had already left Baltimore, the college, at Morgan State, had two, or two years, I didn't go back, we, you know, went back, for the second year, and then I no, I gotta, I'm gonna stay in New York. Oh, I'm gonna be in New York. So okay, you're now in New York. You know, a family. You got, you got all of these things that are going on, and I was managing it. So my head got big again, and this particular time, oh, it really, really hurt. Because, you know, I'm older and you're supposed to be wiser. Right. Yeah. I was out playing so many of the drummers of New York. I was playing better than all of them. I was Mr. Timekeeper. Ooh, I, I got reputations. I got all, <laughs> they had all kinds of names that right. they were giving me. And, uh, I wasn't so humble. You're talking about really 
being knocked for a loop. I got knocked for a loop really, really big time this time. And I really started to ease up and stop thinking about who I am and do your job. Because of this woman? Hmm? Because of this woman telling you yeah. you're full of yourself? It was my buddy. It's my best. I mean, it's like being a best friend to me. But did you understand why she said that? Like, did it, it make sense to you? That it made sense. But I had, you know, to hear it, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. Right. I'm sorry. They, people can say what they want. Nobody wants to hear it. And hearing it from a woman, no. <laughs> That's the worst thing that can happen to you. So what did you do? I, shut, I started to shut up. But it took a while for me to, to understand. Yeah, I started to understand. And, and I'm looking at other people, and I hear other folks say things. And, oh, you know, you better stay focused. You gotta learn how to stay focused. And then I did. I started learning how to be the best studio drummer. I learned how to listen and to watch how producers were doing things and how and why they were making mistakes. What caused them to make mistakes with these songs that they were doing? And it had so much to do with they didn't know the rhythm to give people. Mm -hmm. I was impeccable for giving a rhythm and talking about it and to try it this way. You might like it, you know, but I, I, I wasn't arrogant about it by this time. Right. I was just, uh, I'm good at what I do and this is what I observe. I didn't ask you for anything. You know, I didn't but you, you were able to change. Oh, yeah. I had to, but humility being really, by the time I hit 30, oh yeah, I was mellow. <laughs> but you but have I, played on some amazing albums, right? Like, I mean, you have a history of, I'm trying to bring up a list here, but like, it's an impressive list with pretty amazing artists. Yeah, but it was just, the thing is, is, it was a job. Right. And that's what people fail to realize, that you do the job, you get called. I was doing 15 to 20 recording sessions a week. And, and was it mainly recording? Did, like, did you ever um, go on the road with the bands and stay in the band, or was it mainly studio work? Oh, I was, I was doing both. I was doing both. Because when I went on the road, whatever I went on the road with, you know, you only go for a short period of time and you're back. Nobody was working seven days a week and you know, right. constantly working. You work three or four jobs. You might be out a week, ten days or something, but I had to do more. I couldn't sit around. You have to work. So you come back and you go straight to work. What I didn't know is that in reality, when you're a studio musician, 
You don't go out on the road. But I was doing both. Right. Did you love the road? Oh, I loved it. Always loved the road. Because that's how I was brought up. Right. I was brought up riding the buses and the cars to uh, play from gig to gig someplace. You know, you, you're known for your work with Aretha Franklin. Mm -hmm. You were her musical director. Yeah, that uh, too. And you were on the King Curtis Live at the Fillmore album. Yes. Which is, I guess, connected. Mm -hmm. But when you... Can you tell, tell me a little bit about your connection with Aretha Franklin and how that... Well, that happened because of King Curtis. Okay. See, a lot of people didn't know that King Curtis was the unsung hero of Atlantic Records. He was the one picking out the artists on Atlantic Records. He was also the one that brought most of them to the label. The ones he didn't bring to the label, they turned to him to see, uh, do you think that uh, this one is worth it, you know, for us to go spend the money on? He was instrumental in everybody dealing from the 50s, the end of the 50s, and right on through all of the 60s. Hmm. He was that instrumental with Atlantic Records. He had production. He had everything. He had publishing, but he was fixing and with arrangers and, and producers and bringing these different artists to the label, introducing them to Ahmed Erdogan, the brothers, Nesui, you know, all of that. People didn't know it. People did not know. Right. And when they had meetings on the records that they wanted to release. He was there? He was, he was the head of it. Unsung. He had no, no title. Didn't have a title. He was there. And they paid him well. Well, that's good. They paid him well. Because uh, he wanted to keep his 14-piece band uh, that he had. He wanted to keep, he wanted to play. And he did. If you listen to the records in the 50s, 80% of the solos that happened was King Curtis on the doo-wop, all R&B, all of the funk. Wasn't even called funk. It was just grooving records. Right. He was the one that did all the solo work because he had a phenomenal sound. But he, the musicians gathered around him because of that band, that big band. He was smoking and he, they were dancing. He had the number one dance band going. Everybody thought that Count Basie, Duke Ellington, and uh, Lord Price, James Brown, King Curtis, right from New York, had more gigs than all of them. Played five and six nights a week, someplace in the area, because the people wanted to dance. The club circuit, the dance circuit, 
when something, the King Curtis, and they all, Kingpins, was the one who was playing. So how long did you play with him? I was with him. I was actually with him for 10 years, basically. But my first four or five years, I wasn't the one playing the drums, except for some of the recordings. I was there because I was a bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the King Curtis Live at the Fillmore. Yeah. Classic album. It's a super classic album. You played on it. Mm -hmm. Did you know that when you were playing on it that this was a special evening? Oh, yes. We had three special nights. All three nights were special. The first night, we had hundreds of guitar players, bass players, and drummers to show up. And each night, you had so many musicians coming to the show that the people, the regular audience, was musicians who came. Bill Graham knew it was the best salesperson that I ever knew. He had this, and he took a shot. He took a chance on Aretha because nobody... Bill Graham or anybody else. He wasn't interested in females. Hmm. He took a shot on her because he fell in love with the sound that she was doing and how she was doing things. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. Each night, each performance was completely sold out with standing room only. only. Capacity plus. And at this point, are you working with her because of King Curtis? And I was working because of King Curtis. But had you been working with her before, or is it just for the, did it start from this point on? Uh, I was working for her without working for her. It was still through King Curtis. Okay. But what I was doing, she's now on Atlantic Records. She had made Three albums, two, uh, no, three albums on Columbia. I had already fixed three different albums on her at Columbia. When you say fixed, what does that mean? Put a whole new band on. Okay. All right. Put a whole new band. And that's why her record sold afterwards. Everything on Columbia started selling when she was selling and became the superstar on Atlantic. But did you know, I mean, you could probably tell that she had something, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, it, not only the warmth, but the, the sound, the worth, energy, and love what she did. Not only with her voice, but with her playing the piano. Mm -hmm. I don't think she gets enough credit as a piano player. Oh, no. She, she, I guess when you have a voice like that. Maybe. Yeah. Nobody listened. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't care. They listened to her. It was phenomenal. Her voice. 
but her piano playing set the tone, mm-hmm. which is why it worked so well coming down here to Muscle Souls with uh, Jerry Wexler. Right. But what a lot of people also didn't know, I fixed some of her records back in New York as well. <laughs> it, it happened. Right. It was just, it was a job. So, you've been on a lot of albums. And for me to go through the list would be silly. But if we were to go the other way and ask you some of your highlights, what you think are special to you. Well, the biggest, (laughs) one of the biggest highlights is live at Fillmore. Right. But then you come down the pike and then you have Young, Gifted, and Black. The whole album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spanish Harlem, Rocksteady. Like you did the drums for the Rocksteady, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you have a head that large and you hear your drums, what does that make you feel like? Had you had- uh, make me feel very, very important. Made me feel that good because the way things happen and how things happen, I was in control. I was really in control of my whole wits. Knowing what she wants, what she did on the piano, and then giving it to her, and then adding that little extra stuff to go with it. This is what most people don't understand. It's the artist that gives you the energy. And the musician that's got to give the artist the energy. Right. So it's a mutual situation. And that is exactly what happened to every one of the stars coming out. And that's why they made it so big. And when they make it so big, the musicians all get forgotten. It's just a way, it's a way of life. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. And the other part of things is that the worst thing that the musicians can do is to hang out with your boss. Leave it. Leave it alone. Because you're going to get caught up in their thing and you will end up losing your job if you don't come up to par every time that you got to do something. And you're not going to be able to speak back and tell them that they're wrong, you're going to have to eat this if you want to stay and keep the job. So you got to learn, stay away from your boss. Do there and be there when it's time. Always when it's time. Do your job, and then when the gig is over, go your way and come back to when it has to be. Can you name me some other albums that you're really proud of? Or some other songs or works? Steely Dan. It, it, <laughs> you know, all the stuff that people said about Steely Dan, it's all true. It is. But in what sense is it all true? When they want something, they know what they want, and they work at it until they get it, and they got it their way. Can you name me some songs that you did? Oh, Home at Last, uh, (laughs) 
the Asia album, the biggest album to me, the one that <laughs> sells the most seems to be uh, uh, the one with green earrings. Right. Every one of their songs there is super hit. And it will be a super hit for the rest of their lives. Everybody that has to learn about Steely Dan, all the Steely Dan groups, they work. <laughs> these, these kids work because that music is self-sufficient and self-supporting. Was it, were they, because they have such high standards, was that difficult to work with? Not for me, because that's how high I keep my standards. Right. I don't ever, ever want people to think that my standards are below the level of anything. Because to me, it is a job first. I'm going to do my job. When I'm finished with my job, I'm the happiest person in the world. I walk out head high, made some good money, and can talk more trash than the barrel of monkeys if I have to, because I did my job. Right. And I believe in me, 1,000%. I do not BS anybody when it comes down to doing my job, because I'm going to do that. If you, I can't, I won't accept it. Okay, so you've also worked with some other greats, like B.B. Mm -hmm. um, King. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. B.B. King is one of the apples of the world. <laughs> I mean, just... Just him being himself. Mm -hmm. I first know of B.B. King being in, in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. I lived around the corner from him. But here, we did a thing here live at the... East uh, Fillmore, Fillmore East. Right. We did it here. Wonderful. The man was the happiest person in the world because he got what he wanted, and anybody that he brought along with him stepped up to the plate to get what they needed. Every person in that band loved being in that band. It was a home. Mm -hmm. It was a homely thing. And he treated his musicians well. He treated his musicians well. Always did. James, Always. James Brown. James Brown, I had a lot of respect, but when he made the mistake of turning me around, I, it was two drummers and a percussionist right. in the band. A mistake was made. I got accused, and I got charged $25, fine. And he's singing about it to the audience and everything else. And when that night came, I had to speak with him. I said, Mr. Brown, uh, I was not the one that made the mistake. Too late, too late. I said, no, 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 <laughs> no. I'm not going to take the blame for somebody else's stuff. So, no. We tried to settle it, and 
He said, no, that's what it is. And I said, well, then you have my two weeks notice. And he, he just looked at me. And then he, he left. In two weeks, I packed my drums, took them off the bus. I had nowhere to go, whatever I was going to do, nothing. And I left. I got called back about three years later, three or four years later. Mr. Lowe, the arranger, called me back. And the session that we did at that time, 23-piece orchestra, 13 horns and 10 rhythms. And we had, and we hit, and those things, it was smoking. But I had my little run in. I had to get my little say in, you know, after that time. And I did. And I'll leave that for another time. <laughs> you also wrote a book. Yes. What's it called? Let the Drums Speak. How difficult was that process to write the book? Very, very difficult. Because everybody that I had worked with for the last 40 plus years was afraid that I was going to give out a lot of dirt. And I kept telling people, I said, no. You still don't know me after all these years? I am a true believer in what I do. And if any dirt is going to happen, it's going to be on me. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. Yeah, I had people, I had quite a few artists that came to me and apologized. I said, enough said. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I am fine with it. And I, I meant just that. I have never, ever got to that point where I'm going to be nasty with anybody. I made some dumb mistakes, we all and they did. were dumb, but didn't have anything to do with me uh, defying or trying to mess over people. I don't do that. I want to play. More than anything else in the world, I want to play. And you still music, do. And I still do. And I'm happy as a lot. Did you ever lose that passion at any point? Hmm? Did you ever lose the passion to play? No. Never. So you're still the three-year-old kid who... That's it. And that's what people see. And that's all they see. When I cannot do that, I guess it's time to put up the sticks. What makes you such a good drummer? I love me. I love all the things that I have done over the course of the year. But I learned my craft. And I learned it well well enough to do whatever I want with the drums. I don't, I don't bother, I don't, I don't think about any drummer or how good they are about anything. I'm going to play me and I'm going to enjoy what I do. So I am not in competition with anybody. It ain't about competition. I'm going there to have me a good time. I'm did, going to enjoy what I do and do it. Did you ever come up with a piece that you struggled with? Where you, you faced a song that you weren't sure what to do? 
or did you always know what to plan? Oh, I've had the one incident that helped me make my major decision in life was a group called, or the song, Hang On Sloopy. Mm -hmm. By the McCoys. The McCoys. They wanted me to play like I was 14 years old. I am now big time, and this, that, and the other. I'm burnout purdy, and blonde, and, and you want me to play like I'm 14 years old? Get out of here! And oh, whoa, whoa! Sorry, because they wanted to make it more teeny bopperish. Yes. Is that right? Okay. So I tried. I did my job, and I tried to mess it up. I tried to play dumb and stupid with my plan, made my fills in the wrong place, come this, that, and this. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. And it worked for them. But the thing that hurt me the most is this, you don't, that is not who you are. Don't ever do that again. That's what I had to look in the mirror and tell myself. So I will never accept a job if I have to play it wrong. Or have to be the bad guy. And, but you're not getting credit for a lot of stuff that you do on, in the oh, studio, right? Oh, there was a lot of, no. But hang on, Snoopy. I've been making money for 50 years behind that. Because it was reported to the union. Right. But no, there were so many records that I didn't get credit for because they weren't given credit. Right. So the thing that happened with me is that as, as time went on, I tried to learn to get it all together as best I could. I'm just going to do the job. And that's what it's going to come out to be, a job that I do. So it's, it's time to wrap it up. But I just want to thank you so much oh, for doing this. Oh, I want this. to thank you too. And I, I really appreciate it very what, much. What a thrill that you, I would just bump into you and this opportunity would come up. And, and I can't thank you enough for well, this thank time you. that we spent together. My pleasure. I just said my plasma. <laughs> <laughs>